hang on, hang on, hang on. Before we start the podcast proper, we are delighted to say that this episode is sponsored by On The Red Line. They're a website completely dedicated to following and supporting the British team, and they've got loads of articles about the squad members and all the competitions they've been in. Yeah, On The Red Line have been quite a big inspiration for us in starting the podcast. They've had a very similar ethos to trying to make elite orienteering accessible to club orienteers and raising visibility of the squad and what athletes are trying to do in their day-to-day lives and at competitions for people around the UK and further afield. So even while orienteering is suspended and they don't have the usual articles and Twitter interviews from World Cup arenas and directly from kind of athletes in the field, they've got a huge back catalogue of content for you to to go and um, check out. So particularly check out the athlete profiles, which have loads of interesting information about the team, what they've been up to, and even some how-to orienteering videos if you're looking to get anyone into orienteering who's never tried it before once we're all out of lockdown. Yeah, absolutely. Go check all of that out. Their website is ontheredline.org.uk. They're also on Twitter and Instagram as well. And thanks once again to On The Red Line for all their support with the podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Run-In. This week we are going to be discussing the most recent Lockdown O Sprint Weekend the uh, and how the British athletes fared in that. We're also going to be talking about the Danish team and the opening up of Denmark and possibly the uh, rescheduling of WOC to October this year, later this year, fingers crossed, and also Matthias Kibbutz's 50-kilometre treadmill world record, which even saying it is slightly <laughs> dull and long-winded, <laughs> which uh, we'll get onto that later. But, but impressive. Uh, oh, very impressive. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I wouldn't like to do that for, for two hours and 50 minutes. But um, firstly, Catherine, how are you? How's it all going? Yeah, um, I'm good. I've, I feel like I've been struggling to motivate myself to get out and run. Like today it was really rainy, really disgusting. I'm really glad I went out there. But I don't know, I feel like as the novelty of all the lockdowns wearing off, like I'm and actually as all the undergrowth is starting to grow as well, I'm just less motivated to go out and go for a run. How yeah. about you? I know so I know what you mean. Uh for those people not living in the the southern half of England, this weekend or this week has been the first time we've had cloud and rain for the last month. So yeah, it's it it's, feels like that. England has returned to its normal state of weather, which is not the most conducive for going out and training, especially when there's not many events on the horizon. But no, I, I'm similar. So I picked up a n- little niggle uh, a couple of weeks ago now, which I originally got in January and then reoccurred. So instead of pushing on through, which I was doing for the preceding three months or so, I've just shut down and um, taken a week of training on the bike and just building up running this week. So I managed a a 17-minute run today, and thus far there's been no reactions. You know, touch wood. Good, good. So uh, hopefully I'll be, I'll be back to running normally soon, but... Um, yeah, I had, a ch- I had a chat with the sprint orienteering um, group in the British squad as well uh, yesterday, which was, you know, nice mm-hmm. to remind me that elite orienteering is out there and we'll be back eventually. And it was good to chat through kind of lockdown training where everyone's at and how we're progressing and moving forward to, you know, this being lifted and getting back to racing. So that was really nice to kind of touch base with everyone and and 
put some exciting things in in motion moving forward as well um, mm. and probably yeah. also realizing that a lot of you are going through maybe similar things as well like having similar challenges yeah no absolutely there's a lot of you know struggling to find the uh the ability to go out and do orienteering training especially mm. um because obviously we're restricted in traveling to training at the moment and in britain it's not too easy to get onto a map directly from your door um and and yeah just the kind of day-to-day monotony of managing to fit all the work you need to in and then getting out to train and you know managing your life and balancing it all because it's quite difficult but something actually my my boss reminded me of which was quite good is that everyone i think up until this weekend i was trying to make everything feel normal and mm. if you're trying to make everything feel normal that, that just uses up more energy because it is just not normal so mm. um so you just need to accept that everyone is not in a normal state at the moment and just change all of your expectations which kind of removed a bit of pressure from for me and yeah kind of set me on a more positive mindset so no it, it made me realize that i'm quite lucky in in where i am at the moment and you know just letting things kind of sail on through where they are and and yeah things will get back to things will get back to it eventually and I think if you're searching for a deadline for the end of something, as um, as uh, someone very very wisely said on the call, uh, if you're searching for the end of the the final date and then it misses or it goes past and you miss it, then you're just going to be kind of harder mentally to get back to to where mm-hmm. you're going anyway. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, just flows on through and it'll all be all right. Yeah, it'll all be all right in the end. Good advice. Um, well, yeah, there's really not been much that's gone on since the last podcast, no. I'll be honest. So we're like trying to find stuff we can talk about. One thing we can talk about is the lockdown O sprint weekend, though. Um, so it's kind of the second competition that's been held or kind of coordinated by Chris Smithard. And it's, that's a big foreign contingent all over Europe, all over the world of people entering these races. It's fantastic to see. I don't know how he's done it, but Sminty has uh, he's, he's smashed it again and has got yet another massive influx of people and big names as well yeah. kind of involved in this and getting very competitive over it. I can oh, say. But just as competitive as if it was a normal orienteering race, which I find really funny. The fact that the competitive nature of people doesn't go away regardless of what you're doing. They still have to win and, and get annoyed if they mm. make mistakes. So... Mm. It's yeah, quite my, entertaining. Yeah, my mum was like practicing on the maze for hours and was still really, really struggling to do it. Um, but like kept trying to trying to improve, trying to get better. So it's that was so funny. And but like we've had a, a, a Dane, uh, Malta Poulsen, won both the the ten and the seven stage event. The ten is the one that also includes ca- includes catching features. And um, Frenchman Theo Florent was second on both of those. Notable Brits included uh, Andrew Stemp, who was third on the seven stage. Grace Malone was the best Brit on that one Joe Sunley was the top Brit on the 10th, 10th stage and um, Tamsin Moran uh, best female Brit on that one um, speaking of big names um, so they had like a knockout sprint on catching features with yeah, like a first round a semi-final and a final and we live streamed the final featuring the big man himself the king of orienteering Thierry Georgiou who was in the lead stretching out a good lead and then he just kind of goes around a building and takes this kind of turn and then just stops. And, oh, he made a big... It was it was some good drama. And um, Gustav Runefors, um, the Swede, he won in the end. So very, very good drama on Catching Features. It was yeah. quite fun. I never realised you could actually put sprint maps into Catching Features yeah. and that they could be so detailed. So 
I'm not a big catching features man myself, but clearly that's actually something that you could use for for sprint geeking and sprint training if you uh, mm. could get the mats loaded up. So the seconds go by quicker in, in kind of catching features. It's catching feature seconds, but you still like have the same amount of time to kind of look at the map. So if you're looking at the map for five seconds, that is like 20 catching feature seconds. I'm not sure what the ratio is, but it's like it loads more seconds. So the pressure on you to have to like take so much information from the map, make a decision about where you go and remember that is just ridiculous so mm. i was i was so impressed yeah it's i mean maybe it's harder than normal sprint orienteering anyway next up was a classic weekend on 8th to the 10th of may that's that bank holiday weekend where it was we were meant to have like the northern champs and uh, the middle champs but um so you can do some lockdown instead yes yeah um i, d- I assume the theme is going to be more forest based for that one yeah they said it was um, going to be like a classic weekend. Yeah, because this weekend just gone was meant to be the Midland Sprint Weekend, which is going to be the kind of, well, I guess the Midland the Midlands answer to mock, but that's not really <laughs> selling it very well. Yeah. If you could go Mediterranean to, Ocamp, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you could go to Malta or Daventry, I'm not sure which you'd pick. <laughs> um, I know which one I'd pick. Yeah, oh God, Daventry every day. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, I, th- I think Sminty's doing a great job of, you know, linking it into the themes of the season as they would have been and I'm a bit disappointed he's not done a a Tia Mila version next weekend starting at 8 in the evening and running through (laughs) to the morning but I think I've seen stuff out there that uh, a couple of French guys led by Nicolas Rio Mm. have set up a Tia Mila based competition so keep an eye out for that on Facebook and other social media platforms I can't quite remember what it was called Oh, yeah, I'm just looking up on Facebook now, Will, and I found it. It's called La House Mila uh, 2020. La, and then literally House Mila as one word, 2020, if you wanted to go have a look and see uh, what that is all about, basically. Yeah, interesting. Um, But some people have been able to now go back and do some training. Looks like from Instagram, I saw the other day that the Danish team have been back able to do some sprint training in Aarhus, where the national team is based. So, um good that some places are kind of coming out of lockdown being able to do stuff but but i'm a bit jealous though yeah it's it's quite frustrating that they can all go and train in the group and uh and we can't they can they've got our interior events going and stuff like that but i guess that's part of how their country shut down and and we're obviously luckier than than places like france that you know shut down more extreme than uh than we did so yeah i guess it's just part and parcel of it but maybe that that means that denmark's going to open up relatively quickly and that the news as of the first of july for any decision on walk is going to be positive because i guess it'll all be based on well it'll be partially based on uh the danish situation itself given that they're the hosts mm-hmm. but um so yeah it's positive stuff moving forward um obviously extra advantage that they get training on relative areas and the fact they can all train as a group at the moment but uh but yeah good to see good positive stuff and yeah kind of makes you itch to get back out there and and competing and stuff as well seeing other people training and and pushing each other and and things like that yeah and then our last bit of kind of news from since the last podcast is that swiss elite uh, orienteer Matthias Kibberts has broken the 50 kilometer treadmill world record. I have got the exact time up here. He did it in a time of two hours, 56 minutes, and 35 seconds, taking just 50 seconds off the previous record set in February 
by German Ooh. Florian Nauschwander. Yeah, he uh, he wasn't planning an attempt this year apparently, but when all of the races got cancelled, he said he was in good shape, <laughs> so he felt like he was uh, going to go for it. And it's quite impressive because he was running it uh, in a in, in kind of old money. That's five forty per mile. I think it's that's roughly kind of somewhere between two twenty five and two thirty for a kilometre for fifty k, which <laughs> on a treadmill. In, in what looked like a loft. Yeah, so, it looked like a loft and they had a fan going, didn't they, to like keep him cool. Yeah, and then his, uh, circulation. his wife was just passing him energy bars and drinks and stuff like that as he was going through. So fair play, Matthias. That is yeah. a big, big shift. Well yeah. done. I saw some good memes on Instagram about how, you know, a regular ultra runner would just like have a super long warm up and do that and then train for ages to do that and then Matthias Kibbert just like rocks up like does this half fast <laughs> yeah. warm up and then just like smash you know breaks the record like what the what did this orienteer come from and just do oh, this like love yeah. it I love the understated way he just goes hops up well yeah just casually hops on the treadmill and just cracks it out it's great and the fact he's just gone I think he said afterwards yeah I won't go a second time it's a special situation only one time and not again like yep done it broken the record no worries and this ultra runner from Germany said that he's going to go and try and break it again and, and go for it and set up this competition. But Matthias is just cool as anything. Of Yeah, I love the nope. lack of competitiveness there. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. And I know that some British orienteers have been getting treadmills and uh, um, currently have treadmills in their isolation locations. So, you know, throw it out there. <laughs> oh, if they, oh if you're they throwing get, it out there on the get, to do it. If they get really bored... <laughs> They know what they can do. They might wow. not have a TV crew and stuff like that, but they can just live stream it and uh, and we can do some lockdown commentary over the top. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Get, get in contact. That would be fantastic. Anyway, let's move on though now to our interview for this episode. And a couple of weeks ago, Will, you managed to get all the tech working, get all the time zones working for a call to Australia. And to have a chat to someone you know very well, having sponged off your, his parents when you were over there for a bit. <laughs> anyway, Aston Key is the current junior world champion in sprint. He's also the bronze medalist from the long distance. So we thought it would be a great idea to hear all the secrets of his success and how he's already thinking about performing at a high level as a senior. We're going to go back uh, and start with your kind of first forays into Europe. So your family's obviously very widely known and associated in orienteering through, through your parents. Your, your dad and your mum have both been elite orienteers for Australia. Um, your family um, owns and runs the uh, Envy and Straight Compass companies. And, and kind of, uh, I guess we should start with, uh, what made you want to be an orienteer? Was it a kind of a foregone conclusion to get into the sport or, or did it take a little bit of convincing for you to, uh, to give it a go? Right, uh, yeah, so as you said, my mum and dad were obviously orienteers, so from a very early age I was, you know, I, I grew up I grew up orienteering, I uh, actually learnt to walk at the World Championships in Finland in 2001, so... Uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> but <laughs> but I didn't actually, uh, I didn't really enjoy orienteering all that much until I was a bit older, around 13, 14, 15, that's sort of uh, when I started to really get into it. Um, I used to only go to orienteering because my, like, you know, little friends, we used to do the string course. You go around, follow the string, get lollies at the end. That was really the only reason. 
And then in 2014, I think it was, I was lucky enough to go over to O-Ringen, which I guess all the listeners probably know. It's the big event in Sweden, and that was a real eye-opener for me. That was just crazy, and I had so much fun. And then I got to see Thierry Georgiou uh, win that race and come down the finish shoot on the last day, you know, hands in the air, and that was a that was the big turning point. And from then, I've loved it, and I still love it. So that was that was twenty fourteen. So before then, did you did you think you were going to go into any other sports? You know, Aussie rules being so big in Melbourne, or or cricket, or anything like that. Ah, uh, yeah, I played all the I played those sports, Aussie rules and cricket, cricket especially. I was never super good at footy. I was a little bit too small for that. But um, I played cricket quite a lot. I was yeah, I was okay at it. It was my main sport up until maybe I was sixteen or so. That's when I really started to stop playing cricket. But I thought that was the that's every Australian kid's dream to grow up and play for the Australian cricket team. But wasn't it's a uh, didn't happen. Uh, but I'm happy that I got into orienteering instead. Yeah, and I guess I guess the reason I asked that is probably because people in the Scandinavian world they they start orienteering at such a young age and go to sports academies. And we heard from the interview that did with Morton Bostrom recently that you know you get, you go to sports academies and it's orienteering and your focus is that and you kind of it's it's almost drilled into you. But I think in the English speaking world we do a lot of um, a lot of different sports when we're growing up. You know, athletics, swimming, cricket, footy, rugby, that kind of thing. Um, do you think that that almost helped you in a way in, in terms of looking at like sprint orienteering, quick changes in direction, sprinting, that kind of thing. Yeah, I guess, um, well, cricket's not the most uh, physically well, demanding sport. No, that's true. Say, but, <laughs> but I did play other sports. I played like land hockey, which is quite physically demanding. And that also is quite relevant for sprint orienteering with all the changes in directions and accelerating, as you just said. So yeah, it was quite quite beneficial, I guess. Yeah, no, for, no, for sure. And um, I think... Something that a lot of juniors can do is, yeah, kind of diversify when you're young and then specialise when you're when you're a bit older. Kind of going going back to the orienteering point. So, uh, O-ring in 2014. That's when you've had that big moment of, oh, this is a sport I want to do and I want to give a crack at. You know, watching Thierry come down the run at O-ring and you kind of burst onto the scene a little bit in 2016 at EYC sprints. Although you were non-competitive, you won the sprint distance there when you were in M16. What's that like coming over and, and doing your first kind of major international in Europe, you know, flying in, not being in the terrain before or for a long time before, you know, how how do you, I guess, how do you train for that? And what's that first run like coming over here? Yeah, so um, as you said, it was in 2016. So I was 16. So I wasn't doing, you know, bulk hours of training or anything. It was more just for fun at that point. But uh, so I came over and, you know, I didn't really, I hadn't raced overseas properly before. So I was a bit naive and I thought, oh yeah, I'll go over here. This will be easy, just like in Australia. And um, <laughs> we got there a couple of days before the race, went into the terrain and I was like, oh yeah, this is pretty fun. The first race was the long distance. And uh, on the third control, I made like a five minute mistake. And I think I came, you know, 20 minutes behind the leader or something and 70th or 80th in that race it was a <laughs> bit of a bit of a real bit of a reality check on that one and then the next day was the relay and I did pretty similar pretty bad so it was really like oh okay this is where I stand so then the sprint had uh you know no expectations we had to my brother was also racing Jensen he was about 13 at the time I think yeah 13 so he was very and was, he, was he in the relay with you Yes, we were in the relay. Yeah, we ran together in the men's 16 class. Okay, who was the, who was the third leg? I think we had a... We were a composite team with a, a Danish boy, I think, yeah. Okay, 
I was going to say, you didn't make Jensen run twice or something like that so you could rest up for the next day. <laughs> no, I wasn't quite that cruel. <laughs> So sorry. So you so you've you've gone from 80th in the the long distance, then you've gone into the relay and the composite team, and you've kind of had a bit of a, a battering there as well. So then a sprint the next mm-hmm. day. How did you go into that yeah. one? So well, I was uh, there was no old map, and that was sort of I was a bit too young to do any real preparation. So I just knew it was going to be in a town, a couple of hills, nothing super special. So I was in that sense prepared, but not really prepared. But then on the day, we actually had to get a, a flight quite early out of that day. And we had to drive quite a long way to get to the airport. So we requested early starts because, you know, there's like Jaywalk, there's start blocks. Mm-hmm. So Jensen and I both got the early start block so we could get out of there and get, make our flight. So we went into the quarantine and it was, I remember the day it was cold and raining. And we went into the quarantine just wearing our split shorts and singlet, compass SI on everything. So it was <laughs> pretty cold. <laughs> You know, lining up for the, the... I think there were, like, two toilets, two port nice for everyone there. So it was quite rough. And then, you know, uh, just ran the race, finished the race. And when I finished, I heard something, something, third place. And I was, like, you know, the 10th starter. So I thought, oh, no, here we go again. Great. So then ran straight to the car, got in the car, drove to the airport. And on the way, I thought, oh, I may as well check the results. So I um, checked the results and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm winning. That's that's pretty cool. But there was this uh, real sort of made me nervous because the time on the live results didn't match the time I had in my splits by about a minute. Like it was exactly a minute off. So I thought, oh, no, they bugged it up. A minute puts me down in like currently in 20th place or whatever. So I thought, oh, OK, yeah. But it turns out that was just a glitch in the thing. And then. Uh, a couple of competitors came past and a couple of the good guys didn't beat me. So we thought, oh, this is, you know, maybe this will be a top 10 or whatever. And, you know, and then I ended up surprisingly winning it and we celebrated at the McDonald's stop at the, uh, <laughs> uh, at the, uh, on the way to the airport with a soft drink. So that was fun. Uh, nice. So I, I guess that's a, that's a kind of story about you going in and taking all of the pressure off because your mind is completely focused on something else of getting to the airport and you're not stressing about actually racing. Yeah, I was still pretty focused on the race, but yeah, it was definitely, all the pressure was off since I thought, oh, okay, it's a, you know, these guys are way better than me and everything. So I was just there to have fun at the race and sort of just do as well as I could. I guess that mm. maybe helped a little bit, yeah. Oh, definitely. So, and was that a moment for you of going, right, okay, I can win these, you know, I can actually do this after, you know, getting a bit of, it handed to you in the long distance did that set you up then of going right so it's jaywalk next and i've got this plan over uh over the next few years i'm gonna win jaywalk uh yeah it was maybe a bit of a confidence boost but still when i got to jaywalk that's what i had to get the plane for got to jaywalk in switzerland that year and then i got i didn't get battered again but you know quite far down the result list so it was another reality check but it definitely like seeing that I could beat some of the guys that were my age, I thought I was pretty motivated for the years to come. Yeah, for sure. And I guess what's that like then coming into those competitions when, um, for those people who aren't from Australia and New Zealand, you guys fly over what? I guess typically a week before, maybe two weeks before, if you're if you're lucky, if you've not got university or school on, and and they give you a bit of extra time off, and and you're straight into the terrain, or how much prep are you actually managing to do? 
Yeah, so we fly over about a week before, usually for a little mini training camp just in the terrain, so everybody gets to know it a little bit because we, our university exams are usually like the mid to end of June, so it's pretty horrible timing with that. But uh, we usually get over a week before and we go straight into the terrain and, you know, it's it's pretty tough uh, going straight into it, but it's, you know, it's what we've done for years and of course it would be nice to be over there a bit earlier, but it's what we have to do and usually we make do with the time we have do you do you ever think that gives you guys an advantage in a way where where you're so focused for that week beforehand you know there's no other distractions you're just in that zone of right i'm here i'm doing this i'm like i'm in the hotel already i've got my plan all laid out or is it a real hindrance uh it can be a bit of both actually because one you know you come in with only a week of training so maybe you're a little bit maybe a little bit like overconfident which sometimes can be really good you're not the terrain's not in your head you're not overthinking it or anything you're just there to race but it also can be bad of course because you know you're trying to learn as much about the terrain only one week before so then obviously you can't do too much training because you'll be too tired and everything so it's a bit of a trade-off there are pros and cons I guess yeah mm. and how much prep are you managing to do before you get there before you uh like from Australia how much you know is it really possible to find the relevant terrain? I guess for sprint, it's a bit different to the forest, but how much relevant terrain are you managing to get into? You know, or is it all just that kind of the the geeking that we see nowadays where it's map making, it's uh, running wilds on World of O and, you know, street view and stuff like that? Well, I guess it, it depends on the terrain. Like you can train physically quite okay for some of the years. Like Switzerland, of course, was going to be steep. And, you know, every country's got some hills, so you, you could easily train that. But it was a bit different come the next year when it's in Finland and it's in that soft, sapping terrain. That was a bit harder to train for. But And there, obviously we do the... Now we do the making the maps and the running wilds and stuff. And I guess that's a huge portion of it for us, especially since we can't get over there, you know, and do the training camps in October or March or whatever. So we spend we do spend a lot of time as a team looking at maps and course making old maps and stuff same yeah. courses and all that yeah and so going through your jaywalk years then you've you, you and the team uh you're doing all that prep you're doing all the relevant training you're coming over here and you know putting a lot of time and money into you know into performing on the other side of the world you you managed to get numerous top tens and and in 2018 you were close to being in the medals you know being in the lead at a couple of points in the middle and the uh and the sprint 2019 you finally got there you got the gold medal you know what was that what was that moment like was it relief was it just pure elation you know what what run us through that day uh it's uh you know that moment's pretty hard to describe I wouldn't say it's a relief because I didn't maybe expect to win or I wasn't you know wasn't thinking oh this I have to win this race it was more just you know pure joy but yeah so the day was it was pretty normal really in the beginning you know the race was sort of after lunch-ish, that's when my start was. So it wasn't a crazy early morning. So I woke up and went through the normal routine of breakfast. You pack your bag, you check everything off. You go to quarantine, play some cards. So yeah, we got on the bus to quarantine, the quarantine at the event. And we got given our warm-up map. And it's, of course, a little map just to get you into the mode of orienteering, which is always useful. But uh, when we got to the quarantine at the event, it was a little bit worrying because we weren't where we expected to be. We expected to be to the north of the uh, where the, the main bulk of the map, but we were somewhere else that we didn't recognize, which is a little bit off-putting. 
but it was okay because you know I guess most people would be in the same boat. Did my warm up. Usually start about 45, 50 minutes before. I like to do quite a long warm up for sprints because you know it's so short and you have to be at a high intensity from the beginning. Got to the start and I, when we got to the start, I actually recognised where we were because we'd um we'd done a lot, really a lot of preparation for this jailhawk sprint. We'd our one of our team members had made a like a fantastic map. Yeah, Duncan Curry, huge shout out to him. He was a huge part in our and our success in that on that day. So I actually recognised where we were at the start, which was really like a massive confidence boost. Just before, like a couple of minutes before I started, I was really feeling comfortable and confident, which was great. And then, you know, the last couple of minutes, really focus in, and then the the five beeps go, and then it's sort of a bit of a blur all the way into the finish. And of course, when I crossed the finish line and I heard, oh, you're in the lead, that was, of course, a pretty happy moment. But then the next the next hour or so was maybe the <laughs> the worst hour of my life, just waiting, <laughs> waiting, trying to do my cool down, not listening to the speaker. Oh, the, and, you know, of course, the speaker would be saying, oh, there's somebody coming into the finish, blah, 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 they're two seconds down or whatever. And it's like, oh, God. Yeah, it trying to make just, the crowd excited, but it's hell for you. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it was pretty horrible. But then, you know, when they finally announced that I won, it was, yeah, it was pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, because I guess you've still got to think about, because was the sprint one of the first races in the week as well? Yeah, it was the first race. Yeah, so you're already thinking about as well that like, you're, you're prepped for the next day, I guess, and going, right, well, I've still got to think about the fact that I'm having to do a qualifier or a long distance tomorrow and... Yep. And, you know, get my recovery in, you know, warm down properly, stretch, do all of that good stuff, whilst also maybe wanting to go and celebrate and, you know, um, revel in it and, and see see what everyone else is doing and the times that are getting posted. Yeah, definitely. We had the, the long distance was the next day, so I had to be quite fresh for that because, you know, it's quite a tough one, the long distance. So, yeah, I did my normal warm down and stuff, tried to eat some food, but... It could, it wasn't the best recovery ever, but I still got I got most of it done, so that's all right. Ah, oh, but you'll be flying on the adrenaline. I remember in um, I think it was twenty sixteen World Unis when the GB team were all coming in, like posting loads of stuff in the top twenty. I I went on a uh, warm down with your Jawot coach Brody uh, Nan Curvis, and we I think we just jogged up a valley for like three kilometers and then came back just away from all <laughs> of the noise and sound for like as long yeah. as possible just to uh, just to escape the whole buzz of what was going on so it's, it's amazing yeah. the amount of stress that's still there after the race yeah that's uh that that would be great we were all uh we were all penned up in the finish area we couldn't really go anywhere so we were running laps of about 100 meters just around oh, the God. outside of the <laughs> arena so we c- couldn't escape couldn't escape the speakers no, but that's fantastic if you've had a good run. If for anyone who's been in quarantine and had a small warm down area when they've had a bad run, that that loop is hell on earth when you're just going around in yeah. circles seeing everyone, you know, excitedly chatting about their splits or whatever. That is not a fun it's not a yeah, fun I've, place to be. I've had my fair share of experiences <laughs> with that as well. Yeah. So uh so the next day, you know, you are, you've done it, you've just become uh junior world champion. Now you've got the long distance. Um, and then you, you go into that one. How are you feeling going into that? Is it all, you know, job's kind of done? Any, anything that comes as a bonus? Or you're going and going, right, let's make it, let's make it two for two? Uh, yeah, so I'd, I went into Jaywalk focusing mostly on the sprint and the middle. I hadn't really thought about the long too much, but I knew I was in reasonable shape. And if I just had a clean run, maybe I could do okay. So 
in that sort of sense, I was it was a completely different day to the sprint because on the sprint I was hyped up, you know, ready to go. This is the day, blah blah blah. I was really prepared. On the long, it was sort of the opposite, complete opposite. I was sort of very chill and, you know, okay, let's just have fun, see where this goes, try to find all the controls in the right order, just see what happens. And uh, so yeah, it was like I remember in the quarantine, I was just very happy to sit in there waiting because you know the long distance day at jaywalk is a very long day in quarantine if you have a later start i was like a so day at work like, basically i think i was i didn't have the later start i was still like an hour and a half or so from the end but i still was in quarantine for you know four or five hours or something oh. so that was quite tough <laughs> but I, I just remember i just remember sort of sitting there you know just happy just to sit there and watch everybody doing their warm-up and then i did quite a short warm-up just a couple of K and then went off to the start pretty relaxed and actually uh, remember on the start line, they didn't put the maps in map bags. They like gave it as an option. You had to, when the time started, you could put your map in a map bag and it was the forest really? was a little bit. Yeah, it was a, there was just that is old school. There. Yeah. Well, they, they didn't provide map bags and stuff, but then when they realized it was, you know, a quite wet, they said, okay, you can have a map bag, but you have to do it on your own time. Yeah. Mm. So anyway, I, I got to the start line. I thought, oh, it's quite wet. You know what? I will put my map in a map bag. So I, when the beeps went, I actually stood still for, you know, it felt like forever. It was probably only five seconds. But the person I started with was, you know, the girl I started with was well out of sight. And I thought, oh, crap. I better hurry up. So, you know, I eventually got the map in the map bag. And then, you know, the rest of the race is a bit of a blur. So, so was that kind of... Normally, the first control on the long distance is quite a key one for you know setting you up well mentally for the rest of the course. Was that um, uh, how did you settle yourself then in terms of starting and feeling like maybe you were, be- you were being rushed and you were under pressure? Uh, it was all I can really say about that. Really, is just when I actually picked up the map and started looking at it, I completely forgot about what I did two seconds before putting the map in the map bag. I just started reading the map and then ran past the start triangle and then, you know, started ticking things off and eventually yeah. found the first control. So you, you were into that process? Yeah, exactly. Maybe it would have been a different story if I had made a small mistake on the first control. The race could have gone a bit differently with the added stress of, you know, the couple seconds at the start line and then missing the first control. But I was lucky enough to find the first one, all right? So then from then on, it just sort of went pretty smoothly yeah and then i guess um moving forward from that so you got you got the bronze there and the gold in the sprint and and the middle you uh i think you were top 10 weren't you but um no medal in that one saying it as if it's a terribly yeah, easy so thing was... to, to cruise the three medals <laughs> yeah so i think i was fifth in the middle which was a bit of a disappointment because the middle and the sprint were the ones that i was really going for and like if I had to pick one, it was probably the middle. I was a little bit more prepared for the middle and my training had been more specified for the middle and all that stuff. So, and you know, after the middle qual, when I managed to win my heat, which was a big confidence boost, I was feeling quite ready and it wasn't a bad run. I, I made one I made one mistake, which was maybe the easiest control of the course, apart from the first one, which was... Uh, Apart from the first control, which was up that track onto the track junction. Yeah, uh, I, I did see it, that and think that was the easiest control there must have ever been at a J-Watch. <laughs> yeah, uh, and maybe any international quite, ever. It was quite a... Well, we knew that it was an arena start and we knew there wasn't all that good 
terrain around the arena, but we were still surprised when we picked up the map and saw that it was up the track on the fence corner or wherever it was. Yeah. yeah so the, mis- <gasps> the, s- <laughs> the small mistake I made was uh, later on the course, just before the spectator control, it was in a, like I had to go up a hill across a field and it was down into a gully and I got to the field and th- I had a bit of oxygen debt, just running up the hill and thought, nah, I'll run around this field which was a <laughs> terrible decision to make at the time. <laughs> cost me some seconds. And then when I came down to the gully, I actually saw the control and thought, oh, no, nah, that's not my control. Mine's a bit lower. So I ran down a bit lower, and then turns out that was my control, so I had to come back up. But, ah, man. Yeah. So then, so, you, so your training was so geared to the middle then, would you say that you are, in terms of disciplines, a middle-distance athlete, or would you say that you're, you're becoming more of a sprinter? Um, maybe right now my, um, bit stronger at the sprint, just, you know, the way I'm developing, maybe I've got a bit more speed at the moment rather than endurance for the 30 minutes, but hopefully in the future I'll be, my, my favorite distance is the middle. So I'm hoping to, I'll keep training for the middle and hoping to improve at that, but I do like all the distances. Yeah. And I guess we'll, we'll get on to, to this year being your final year of Jaywalk, um, in a bit, but we'll, I guess we'll kind of dive into that progression of of moving up into the next few years of your career. And as a senior, you made your walk debut still as a junior in, in Latvia in 2018 in the uh, in the sprint. You know, what was that step up like at the time? You, know, you hadn't had that that medal at Jaywalk yet, you know, but you were still kind of one of the best sprinters in Australia. You know, what was that like going uh, going into walk? It was a uh, it was pretty. It was a lot of fun. I'm not going to lie, actually, that was that walk was a lot of fun. I only ran the one race, the sprint, or actually the sprint qualification. I had a pretty bad one, so I didn't make the final. But um, yeah, it was, I'd just come off jaywalk in Hungary. I, I hadn't done so great, so, and I hadn't done a lot of sprint training going into Hungary, because the, the forest races at Hungary were super technical, especially the middle distance. So I'd done a lot of preparation technically for that technical middle distance. So I was maybe a bit, not sloppy, but not, not as sharp as I could be in the sprint, and mm. walk was about a walk was about a month later, so I had plenty of time to you know get train some more sprints, which is what we did with uh, my family. We had a bit of a training holiday all around Europe in between jaywalk and walk, which was a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, getting to walk and that was, I mean, it was really just a great experience. You know, it's jaywalk's a lot of fun, and but walk, you know, it's just the next level up. So getting to the quarantine and seeing all these like guys that I've idolized throughout my years, you know, warming up next to me, it was pretty, pretty crazy. And I saw Thierry Georgiou was there as the Swedish coach. That was, it was, it was pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't there, so it can't have been, you know, out of this world experience, but. (laughs) (laughs) Joking, obviously. Um, And, uh, you know, I guess going quickly onto the family, your family's so close and you know, there's so much support from your mum and dad in terms of going over and, and racing with you and being at those competitions. Does that help you prepare kind of, I guess, more than your your immediate rivals in the Aussie team um, for these races? You know, you guys are going over and doing these camps, doing these, um, you know, going and getting to race O-Ringen and all these things before these races. Is that, you think that's giving you that extra advantage over anyone else that might be coming over from Australia? Yeah, it definitely helps, you know, overseas race experience in all types of different terrains around the world. It's definitely been super, super beneficial 
just, you know, widening my horizons a little bit in terms of orienteering. So they've been, obviously my parents have been incredibly supportive since, you know, they're ex-orienteers themselves. Well, mom's still orienteering. She's still clinging on. So I guess, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) nobody knows when she's going to let go. We'll, We'll have to wait and see. Uh, and of course, you like your mum is now, uh, and well, your mum and yourself are relay team members as well, having been the first ever um, mother son combination in a in a relay at World Champs. It wasn't at the World Champs, but we we ran at a couple of World Cups last year. Was it World uh, Cups? In yeah, in Finland and uh, China. That was that was quite fun. Mum running the first leg, and I ran on the uh, on the second leg, and she handed over to me. That was that was quite fun. Yeah, that's <laughs> nah, pretty cool. Um, yeah. So that that World Cup, that World Champs in um, in twenty eighteen, you didn't make it through to the final. You know, any any learning points that you that came out of that for you? You know, seeing everyone else warming up and prepping for their races and going through the routines. You know, anything that you took out of that 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 made you progress on for the next year? Oh yeah, for sure. I think um, the uh, at that sprint qualifier, the uh, heat I was in, you had to be within twenty seconds of the of the leader to get into the final, which, which was pretty hot. And that just really like made me realize how much you have to really just go for it. in that, in that qualifier, especially the walk, walk sprint is, you know, it sounds like when you say, Oh, the qualifier and then the final, it sounds like, Oh yeah, you can sort of get through the qualifier and then race in the final, but no, it's uh, racing the qualifier. And then if you're lucky enough to make the final race in the final as well. <laughs> survive in the final yeah exactly <laughs> so you've now uh now in 2019 you know, you've started to you know break into the top 30 of the world cup um uh, i think in china you uh you made that step up um was that just another a year of fitness on top of that world champs result or was it that kind of mental breakthrough from jaywalk you know knowing that you had the capability to go out there and you know, perform with the best of them on your given day Oh, I guess, well, I mean, obviously there's a, a big physical aspect to orienteering, so there was definitely helped having another year of running in my legs, and I was lucky enough in 2019 not to really get injured at all, so I was managed to train consistently throughout the year, which obviously makes a really big difference, so that was a huge part of it, but also, you know, having a bit of confidence after jaywalk and stuff definitely helped as well, so I can say it's, yeah, a bit of both for sure. Mm. And you spent... Um last year living in Turku as well, running for Turian Sunniestat, you know, did, how was that experience going over and living uh, overseas for, for kind of six to eight months, uh, maybe a bit longer even, you know, being put on first leg in the big relays, you know, that extra pressure, did that help? <laughs> yeah, that's, that was just, uh, everything about that experience was pretty, pretty wild. So I um, finished high school at the end of 2018 and thought I'd take a gap year before I started university in 2020. So I moved to Finland was lucky enough to stay at a family's house. Uh, the Salmis, Yanni and Vroni, who are, you know, both ex-world champions and stuff. So that was, <laughs> all, that's already a pretty good start, all, I guess. Yeah, it's all right people to have around you. <laughs> yeah, not bad. And yeah, so I joined a Finnish club, Turin Sinister, as you said, which is also fantastic. It introduced me to really the, you know, Scandi world of orienteering, having organized orienteering trainings in forests like you know twice three times a week just unheard of down here in Australia so that was I guess that has a huge part to play in you know all the development and stuff I've had managed to have this year so that was pretty pretty fun and 
Yeah, uh, Tim Miller and Yukula, I was lucky enough to run first leg, which is... I did actually run Yukula once before in 2017, I think. I ran first leg for, you know, the fourth team of one of my dad's friends' club. Started back, you know, and the right at the back of the rows, 1,000-something. Oh, nice. <laughs> and With the just uh, Helsinki the Taxi Club. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I remember just the run to the start triangle on that day, and that's about it, you know, fighting through the crowds. It was just <laughs> hectic. Yeah, but yeah. this year at Miller and Yukula was a lot of fun. We were a little bit closer to the front row, so it wasn't such a fight to the start triangle, but, you know, it still was, as always. But, yeah, those, those uh, races are a lot of fun. can definitely recommend them to anybody that hasn't run them before. There are definitely something to check off your bucket list. I was going to say, I think seeing you uh, come past me near the last hill on the uh, on the final few legs of, of Tia Mila, you are, I'm not surprised you got near the front because you're one of the most aggressive people in the pack. I don't think I've only ever seen so many elbows get thrown. <laughs> apart apart well, from Jürgen Lassell, <laughs> who elbowed me in the face. <laughs> I think I remember that moment that you're talking about. Yeah, no, that was a... Uh... That was that was the final hill just before we came into the arena. Yeah, yeah the the pack was yeah. kind of splitting up uh, into like different the final different gaffles as we were going up, and I yeah. think like yeah. you were like people started to walk because it was so steep and it was getting a bit stressful. People like running off the front. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I remember that. It was because uh, we'd just come through some pretty horrible green stuff, and you know, mm. in Tim Miller, when you're you know in fiftieth place or whatever, you're running behind forty, fifty guys. It's when you're running through green, you take everybody's taking the same line. It turns into a bit of a traffic jam, a bit of a like a walk through the green. So, I remember just having a bit of energy there and trying to overtake some people up the hill. Because <laughs> it, it coincides with one of my most surreal but also nicest memories of Orienteering in the last few years. Is because just before then, in that green bit, I think you'd fallen and covered your map in in water, like in a marsh, and it, it all started to rub off, hadn't it? Yeah, so my it got all wet and then I actually ripped away the last couple of controls off my map. So I was missing like missing the last couple of controls, but lucky enough I had the control description so I could see with the numbers what they were. And uh when we got to the top of that hill and found the next couple of controls, I saw Will and I asked him, "Will, have you got number maybe it was number 97 and number 62?" And he thank God he said, "Yes, I do." So I just <laughs> sat on the back of him until oh. the finish. So that was <laughs> but, like, I got very, that, very lucky there. Oh, that was that was so surreal. That of just how lucky we both got of me being pretty knackered and because I had some problems with my foot, like trying to survive through to the end, and then you having all the energy but no no map of like right, let's just let's get through it together and suddenly into the arena and yeah. oh well there's the leader oh damn it we could have we could have actually won this one instead of yeah. uh, just kind of helping each other through. Yeah, that it was, was a uh, really nice moment. Mm, that was one. Of, that's one of my favourite orienteering moments so far, for sure. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. In terms of bucket list, anyone who can get there, do first leg. You know, in either of those relays, do it. I think. Yeah. Absolutely. So then, um, moving forward to, uh, I guess, I guess what everyone in in the world is talking about at the moment is, or as we're recording this, is um, is COVID nineteen and. Uh, the lockdown across the world and the uh, the ramifications that is having on those sporting calendars. Tia Mila has obviously been postponed for this year. Eucala has been pushed back to 2021. 
Um, it's in the Arctic Circle, so more time for people to plan if they do want to go to it. And, uh, and WOC is, at the moment, possibly being postponed to October and may even be cancelled. So, and, uh, and JWOC is kind of, I think they're looking at postponing, but if, they're not gonna pospo- if they do postpone it or cancel it, then um, there may end up being an extra class in, um, in 2021 for those people who can't run, run this year. So I guess uh, getting into the, into the tricky questions... Um, how are you kind of thinking and preparing at the moment for that for that final jaywalk, and or or where's where's your mind at right now with that? Yeah, so uh, I guess there's not much we can't control what's going on with all that. So I just at the moment I'm preparing as usual for uh, if jaywalk is going to be in, jaywalk and walk will be in October, which is when they're planning to have them or going to try to have them. And that sort of actually works quite well with me right now because I have a small little injury that just won't go away, so I'm on the bike. So that's having them in October is, if they do happen in October, that will be great. I can get over this injury and start training properly again. Perfect. But you know, if, of course, if they do get cancelled and get pushed to 2021, then there's a. I don't just you know train just for those world champs. There's there's other things that you can race and do or not even race just training to have fun it's quite enjoyable and that's the main reason why i do it so i'll just continue keep going through and look forward to the next year the next season yeah that well that's you know, remarkably mature mature kind of attitude because i know people are kind of some people are struggling to find the motivation or some people have said you know publicly on their social media or whatever that what they're made to, motivated for is racing they're not motivated by the process of training and some people are saying well you know it's the training is all fine and I can live without the races, you know, it's neither here or there. So that's an incredibly healthy attitude because you'd think that you might, you might feel a little bit robbed of that opportunity. Uh, well, I guess so, but there'll, there'll be plenty more opportunities to come later on. So just keep, keep going through the processes. I quite enjoy, you know, seeing personal development through, you know, hours and hours of hard training. So that's, I, I quite enjoy that. So I'm happy just to sit down here in Australia and, train my ass off until the next world champs <laughs> because you are i think people people don't realize that you do do quite a lot of uh of cross training and like you say training your ass off literally sitting on a spinning bike or turbo trainer and pumping in the hours <laughs> well funny you say that because just before I, we started recording this podcast i got off the turbo trainer so <laughs> yeah, yeah from a what was it two and a half hours today uh yeah about that <laughs> Yeah, where does that come from? Because you've had some some bad injuries in the past and stuff like that. Is that just kind of built up over time and that's something you like to focus on? Yeah, I'm quite injury prone, I guess. I've had a few different injuries and one pretty major one that's, you know, stuck with me a bit. So I just got in the habit of doing a lot of bike riding when I was younger, I guess. And I've done some pretty large periods of just bike riding because I wasn't able to run. So it's not a habit, but, you know, it's almost a habit. And when I do get injured, it's not the end of the world because I'm quite happy just to sit on the bike or the cross trainer and and uh, put in some hours yeah yeah well no um, and then hopefully you get over the injury soon hopefully you do have jaywalk to uh, to go and you know compete at this year and and win a few more medals in if not obviously you'll just be the first you know you'll, you'll be 2019 champion for, for two years so yeah I think you can hold on to the, uh, the <laughs> crown a bit longer but is there any advice you'd give to any juniors of of making that step up to a J-Walk this year if they're going into Turkey this year for their first championships you know any advice that you give them 
Uh, yeah, well, okay, so of course, coming in as a first-year junior or however old you are into your first jaywalk, it's going to be quite a shock because it's probably the first time you've experienced anything like that. Or, like, it's it's quite very similar to an uh, EYOC if you've been to one of those, but it's just uh, it's quite hard not to be disheartened if you've had a, you know, bad race, got smacked around by some of the much older, much more mature bodies, but, you know, that all comes if you stick to your processes and battle through the the tougher years you'll you'll come out at the other side stronger and better for it so i guess mm. that's all i have to say yeah because the scandies do turn up and seem to be way more mature than any of the <laughs> the english-speaking countries you see some of the 16 year olds who are just built and i don't i think they're bigger <laughs> than i am now still yeah probably <laughs> yeah, so nice. um so uh, we're gonna we're gonna finish off with a little uh, quick fire round. We've got five quick questions here. Of what's your favourite area? Uh, Mount Cura in Victoria, where the World Champs were held in 1985. That is a very yeah. granite terrain, quite thick. I think you've run there, Will, a couple of times. I've ran there. I did a lot of walking around it as well. <laughs> it was a bit lost, <laughs> but no, that is phenomenal terrain. Yeah, the Bermuda Triangle bit where everyone gets lost. Yeah, we recently went there a couple of weeks ago before like you know, everything got super shut down and before I got injured and it's, it's just pure joy running there. Yeah. Um, favourite orienteer or rival to uh, to race against? Favourite orienteer would be Thierry Joju. Favourite rival? Who, who, do you, who do you love to beat or do you love having a good head-to-head with? <sighs> Tough question. I think... Will, you'd almost be the answer, you know, having lived oh, here for... Oh, really? <laughs> nice. <laughs> having, lived here for, having lived here for six months, that was... And then racing in Tia Miller and stuff, that's, that was quite a lot of fun. Oh, uh, to be fair, yeah. yeah, I do enjoy racing against you, and it is always a bit nervy. Yeah, you get the nerves looking at the scoreboard, it's like, oh, God, I better, better have beaten Aston. <laughs> <laughs> we, actually, I think we've got quite a good head-to-head as well. Yeah, I, I think, think it's relatively even. Well, there's no, there's, no, there's no scoreboard, but I think you're ahead quite a bit, but... Hoping to catch up, maybe we'll see. Oh, I think that's guaranteed. Um, worst orienteering memory? Uh, probably that uh, EOC, my first EYOC that I mentioned, the long distance uh, on the, I think it was the third or fourth control. I just lost contact halfway to the control and I just couldn't get it back. And I was like a, it was just so very demoralizing, you know, losing that much time in a, in a big race, especially my first international race, it was it was quite tough. Yeah. <laughs> um, and best memory? It's a toss-up between that team meal that we talked about or, of course, Jaywalk. So we'll call it a 50-50 between those two. Nice, nice. You're doing everything to keep me sweet. <laughs> uh, and then favourite session? Orienteering training or like a running training? Uh, let's go both. Okay. Start with running. Uh, I don't mind a uh, 400, so like a quarter session on the track. That's quite quite fun. Like, oh, yeah. 12, Quarters 12, is a one. Yeah, it's, it's nice. It's a, I, just, I quite enjoy it. Uh, and orienteering, oh, I, love, I love, you know, sprint intervals. You know, four or five times, five minutes on a, on a good sprint map. Fake fences, maybe. A couple of mass start ones thrown in there. That's always a lot of fun. Classic, nice. And then, uh, um, favorite favorite race to go and do. Uh, if you could, if you could right now go to any race tomorrow, what would it be? O-ringing. I think that's a. Uh, it was a toss up between O-ringing and Eucala, but O-ringing. 
I think. Nice, cool. Well, uh, I guess we'll we'll leave it there, Asenio. Um Thanks very much for jumping on with us, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll leave you to do another few hours on the uh, on the spinning bike and push out <laughs> some more watts. Uh, but yeah, maybe not. But <laughs> stay safe and uh, and look after yourself, and you know, wash your hands and. Uh, you know, keep keep two mis- meters away from everyone and all that. And uh, yeah, no thanks thanks for jumping on and and we'll uh, we'll hopefully speak to you again soon. Ah, uh, thanks for having me, Will. It was a lot of fun. Cheers. So thank you so much, Aston, for um, coming on the podcast. Really, really great to hear all your views on all things orienteering. Anyway, let's move on now and um, to some of the challenges we like to set you at the end of the podcast now will it sounds like chris jones has been having a lot of time on his hands and he he set us a challenge yes he has so chris jones um fantastic sprint orienteer that he is wanted everyone to start putting their selection hat on and picking their dream sprint gb sprint relay team of the ages so the challenge is you will see a list of runners each will be given a a commercial value and you have up to £10 to spend, so you have to pick your first, second, third and fourth leg runners out of your your pool of runners and make sure that you have a team that adds up to underneath £10. So a bit like um, if people have done a fantasy Tour de France in the summer months mm-hmm. or something like that, you know, you've got to pick your, your team based on a certain amount of credit. So we will, and there will be special rules as well uh, linking into this, um, Things like, you know, if you pick yourself, you you get a bonus if you're backing yourself. Or if there's a couple of runners in the same team, you get a little bit of cash off to support in buying other runners. So we will put all the rules up on the on the Twitter feed mm-hmm. and then we'll see what people send back into us and we will read out the best ones next week. But it's, uh, it could get quite controversial with some of the values he's given, given people. Um, top tip, he's not valued himself as the highest, so you could get a good bit of value from Chris. Mm, yeah, that was one I immediately picked out. But yeah, we'll, all, the, all the details will put up on our Twitter feed, which is at the running pod. So get ready for that one. Um, also, we have every week, we have Ralph's orienteering conundrum. So a couple of weeks ago in the last episode, Ralph set us the question of the, the 36 last long distance races. That includes men's and women separately. How many have been shorter than the expected winning time, under the expected winning time, on the expected winning time within the range that it says and longer than the expected winning time and I kind of thought they would kind of err on the short side um Will you've got the answers for us I do yeah so Ralph has been crunching the numbers and he shot me the answers so we have got um we'll go for the the men first because that's how he sent them in the message to me um (laughs) uh of the races for the men there were 12 races under the expected winning time, five within the band of the expected winning time, and a single one over the expected wow. winning time. That's and quite decisive. It is. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you think about how how people train and the endurance that they go for, the fact that most of the long-distance races are actually under, mm. I mean, how much time are you wasting out there training? Yeah, you could just... <laughs> Be, ha, put your feet up listen to that's the, the winning to the time podcast. though Will that's the winning time you well know, this is true many maybe, people are going to be out longer than the winning time this is true maybe British athletes are just far fitter than uh, the course plans expect them to be or well, the terrain's easier I think that's maybe the case anyway what about the women's so for the women there were eight races under the expected winning time 
nine races within the band and again a single one over the limit so a little bit more even for the women but the women's is shorter the the expected winning time is less and obviously it's shorter maybe that's just easier to get it in i that i'm quite pleased with that result i think that kind of supports my hypothesis that a lot of the time it is on the short side or under the expected winning time i'm yeah. always having a moan that like the longs are not long enough and then when you get to the international you know elite season you're not you're not used to having races that are long enough like you would at you know world cup world championships long distance so mm, so interesting yeah absolutely and a little bit of extra stats for you can you do you, do you reckon you can get the the year that the ones that were over were in Oh no, I knew you were going to ask that question. <laughs> I knew, I can't even remember where the JKs were, let alone think about where there were, is it, oh, is it on really tough terrain or could it be like, could be like um, a, an odd, like fairly simple terrain, but they know that it's quite fast and therefore, um, oh, I don't know, tell me. So I think, what, once you hear it, it's relatively obvious, but it's 2016 on Kilsley Moor where the, uh, the snowstorm uh... came in. Of course. And you had a lot of dropouts. Of which was I can't remember who won the women's, but I know the men's was won by Antonia Hansen, who smashed it round and won the Jake overall on that day, coming from behind mm. on the middle distance. So very impressive Swedish kind of first year senior, I think it was at that point. Um and the lowest winning times for both were actually in two thousand eleven. So for the men it was seventy four minutes and the women fifty seven minutes. And I think <sighs> that was on was that on Broughton Burrows down in Devon? Yeah, Maybe? that could be. That sounds Sand that's June. a very fast area. Yeah. Yeah, may may well be. Goodness me. Wow, that's that's so inter- that's so short though. It's incredibly short. Like, 74 minutes. Yeah, 57 bit, under the hour. Mm. Uh, Northern Ireland it says. Oh, was that Northern Ireland? Yeah. Oh, that was quite a hilly one actually. Yeah, there we go. We were wrong. No, not no, wrong. Right. Oh, 2010 was. I think 2010 was Sandjeans. Um, I'd feel a bit. I'd feel a bit annoyed if, you know, you expect to do a long distance and you're not even running for an hour. Um, yeah. I feel. Yeah, that's kind of sad. Oh well, there we go. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for that. Things have been a bit better since 2013. So the last bit of stats from Ralph. Um, mm-hmm. Only for the men. 15, 16, 17 were outside of the time limit for the men, so under. And for the women, there was only three years of 2013, 15 and 16 for the women as well. So other than that, they've all been within the band permitted. So, um, yeah, things have been relatively consistent since 2013. Oh, great stats. And um, Ralph's actually also set us another question for the next couple of weeks, um, which is on the British Championships weekend from 2015 onwards, how many, is it, are we going with winners of the relay have not run or not finished the uh, individual? Yeah, that'd be it. So how many, how many, uh, this is um, male or female, the, you know, the premier, the elite relays, how many did not finish the individual. Get your guesses in for that one as to the, to the usual place. And if you, can, you want to name and shame them as well, then go for it. Yeah, absolute shame. <laughs> Basically cheating. Oh, no, that's a tactical decision if ever I saw one. Oh. But get, yeah, get your answers I think it's, in on... Hmm? It's worse when it happens at the JK. That's when, it, that's when it hurts, when you see someone dropping out the long and you, you've finished it at the JK and you know you've got to mm. race them in the relay the next day. That's, oof, 
Yeah, but that's that's happened for quite a few years. I remember hearing a story in 2012 about um, a couple of current squad members running out to just find meeting up after the start and finding a spectator control out in the forest to watch people come through, <gasps> knowing that they're resting up for the relay the next day. Oh. I can't remember who they were, so I can't oh. even name and shame them. <laughs> but that's something I've heard. Sneaky. Sneaky stuff. <laughs> well, get your answers in on um, Twitter. We are at the Running Pods, and I think that is it for today's episode. So, thank you very much for listening, for joining us. Um, we'll be back again in another couple of weeks with all the usual news and interviews from all the orienteering scenes. So, we'll be back then. Bye.